Firstly, we need to acknowledge something. We need to acknowledge that global warming is fact. You know, the Paris Agreement agreement talks about 2%, 2 degrees uh, of global warming. Those targets are there. They are fact. They've been negotiated globally. Some other people can resist them, people like uh, Donald Trump, but it's there, number one. Number two, we need to acknowledge that the global energy system is being reconfigured. It's changing. I mean, we're seeing renewables, we're seeing wind, we're seeing people talking about quite a number of other sources of energy that are coming. For me, the big strategy globally, and for us as Africa, as a continent, is to start saying our voice should be heard and our actions should be clearly understood when it comes to energy transition. In other words, our transition, the way we transition from fossil fuel we're not going to listen to somebody like the UK as an example or the US saying to us, shut down South Africa, all the 15 coal-fired power stations today and transition to solar or wind tomorrow. It's not going to happen. We're still going to depend on coal for a long time. Therefore, our voice should be heard. I mean, for us to read that the UK in May, it was the last time they had coal-fired electricity generation on their side. Good for them. Good for them. Because they had colonized Africa, and I'm not going to make it a political statement at all. But for us as Africa, for us as coal mining people, we need to be heard. Our voice should be heard. We acknowledge what the green requirements are. We acknowledge and we fulfill our obligations. For instance, with us as Siriti, we drive the ESG strategy. We drive the agenda very strongly. We acknowledge what is happening and we acknowledge that coal is a fossil fuel. But it is imperative to say that transition to bring in renewables when coal is growing as well should be acknowledged. If you look at the East, the Far East Asia, Vietnam, Pakistan, India, President Modi, this morning I was asked the question that he's uh, starting to issue licenses that there should be more coal so that India can depend on itself in terms of coal. I understand that and I accept that. In our case as well, as we grow the coal industry, we cannot retreat and say, let's continue shutting down all the coal-fired power stations. We'll end up being left stranded, the, 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 the load shedding that is happening. We don't find a solution anywhere, but we're talking about the fleet we have in terms of coal-fired power stations. So my drive is A, our voice should be heard. B, we acknowledge that coal is a fossil fuel and it's a carbon emitter. However, going forward, we are a responsible country or continent in terms of transitioning into the new forms of energy, whilst coal continues to create or stay baseload. From our perspective, um, where we sit as as Sasol, we look at, um, there are a couple of beliefs that we have about the markets that informs our strategy. And we, we take... We have had a lot of debate internally as well to say, you know, there's no doubt we are facing a lot of headwinds and these headwinds, um, it's almost like unabated and maybe you can call it a cult as Vusat calls it around being criticized left and right about the impact that coal has got on the environment. But what we are sitting at is that we're not going to deny the impact that coal has got on, um, on the environment. That is, those, those things around climate change are real. But the beliefs that we've actually taken, there are three sort of three beliefs that I use to guide the strategy that we've developed for, for Sasol. The one is that, you know, and you have to link that to the markets and to say the world is, is transitioning to cleaner sources of energy. Uh, and it is not a, a question of whether this is going to happen. It's, it's a question of how fast. That's the first one. 
And the second one, it's coal will continue to play an important role by virtue of there being fixed uh, assets and capital that has already been deployed. And, you know, the use or, or also meaningful use of iron or steel um, that the world is not able to just really switch off so quickly. So, and the third belief that, you know, we hold, which also informs our strategy in how we play in the type of environment that we are facing or we are operating in, is how fast the overall market will shift away from coal. It's highly going to really depend on regulations and particularly on how aggressively the Western governments and, and developing governments will invest in greening of the economy as part of a new deal, if you think about, you know, to grow the economies post uh, the COVID. So in essence, really, the, this, this beliefs, though, those beliefs lead me to, to, to really have a view that um, the market that we are in, that we are facing, is in great turmoil. There's no doubt about that. But also a market that I believe that is going to be here, where coal is going to be with us for the next 15 to, to, to 20 years. But the bigger question uh, in strategy is therefore not about whether the market will, will stagnate or will shrink, coal will shrink by 1% or 3% per year. But the question for us is really how our company and the South African coal mining industry can best really be positioned within the industry and really to win and therefore to end the right to really continue to compete. And as Vuslat also said now, to create jobs that we're already doing and continue to make sure that we can help the country which the rate of unemployment is sitting at close to about 40%. So those are some of the things that we are looking at on our side to say, our strategy has to be robust to survive in the current environment and to thrive and make sure that we can still play a role because coal is still going to be here. But there are a couple of questions that we as a mining industry, I believe that we have to ask ourselves. Um, and those are also three questions that I ask uh, to say, all of us as a mining industry, how do we build relationships and demand in pockets of the world where places like India, China, Pakistan, where they're still going to be needing coal? We know that there are many people in places of India where they're still going to, for, to meet their developmental needs, they are going to still require coal. And China is still going to be building some of the power stations that are also going to be coal-fired uh, coal power stations. So how do we build those relationships and make sure that we compete? And how do we also use our labor force and also technology and new ways of working to make ourselves competitive against other jurisdictions out there who are producing coal as well? and make sure that we can become relevant uh, into the future in the turmoil environment that we are operating. And now also, how do we grow our share of global market and become the, the leading country for coal? So without doubt, there's a crisis we're also facing, which is compounded by, by COVID, but these crises are going to come and go. So our view that we are taking is really, is what is not going to change is going to be, what do we do as companies or as a mining industry to make ourselves relevant? to make sure that we remain competitive and to continue to gain a bigger share of the global seaborne uh, thermal coal. I want to say uh, the biggest threat to the coal industry at the moment is United States-China relationship. Because of the issues between US and China, the countries like Australia ends up dumping the coal to India and Vietnam and South African producers are getting affected badly because it affects the price huge time. And the other issue is uh, low gas prices. I see on Twitter, like many people are sharing information that coal uh, fired capacity is dropping everywhere in the world, US, Europe, and 
even China, everywhere is dropping. It's not dropping because it's uh, because coal is fading away. It's dropping because of the low gas prices. And then the, another threat is the very unreasonable green energy cult. And I will talk about it later on. But it's a, it's a huge threat to, to the coal mining industry because whatever you say, it's like a religion. They don't want to listen to you. They say, no, 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 coal must go. And then we must transition to, to renewables. There's no other way. And, uh, and unfortunately, in South Africa, there's nobody who's standing up and saying, I mean, where are we going to transition to? Like, there's no technology fund about the battery storage and economically viable technology. So how do we go to from renewables, from fossil fuels to renewables? Just to give you an example, like last night, I got it from ESCOM's website. The peak feedback from uh, ESCOM was 30,000 megawatt supply and the renewables was 389 megawatt. Nuclear was 1,860 megawatt and the rest was fossil fuel, 92.5%. So how do you transition from uh, this picture to renewables? How are we going to store the wind and solar and then use it during the day. ESCOM cannot supply reliable power. ESCOM cannot supply cheap power. And they're sitting with 450 billion in debt. So in South African context, it's very difficult to transition from, from fossil fuels to, to renewables as quick people are thinking. The other challenge is, uh, the, not the challenge, but advantage of coal uh, rather, is it's low cost compared to the peers. And it affects the environment, but it can be managed, unlike nuclear. If, if anything goes wrong with nuclear, it's very difficult to manage it. And then uh, coal creates jobs and also coal uh, supports communities. So these are, like, I just wanted to mention about the threats and advantages. And they, some of them can be managed easily. Some of them are difficult. But in the context of South Africa, like, Bernard asked in the poll and people responded as the biggest challenge is the communities. At the moment, South African communities are very, very volatile everywhere, not only in the cleaning industry. You go to Northern Cape, you've got the same problem with manganese, PGMs, all, all around the country. It's because the jobs are not there and people are desperate. They've got, they've got, they are not busy with their jobs. So what they do is they go and fight with the, with the mining companies with the hope that they will either get jobs or they will get some opportunity to, to make a living. So it's not a, it's not a coal-specific issue, but it's an it's a issue of coal as well because biggest uh, chunk of coal is coming from Mpumalanga and communities are in Mpumalanga are also very volatile. And that's the other kind of threat to the coal mining industry in South Africa and in the world. It's the community issues. Uh, my comment, I would like to touch base on the community issues that have been uh, brought up is that us at Arnold Opco, you know, the company is owned by the ex-employees and the surrounding communities. Actually, 55% of the company is owned by the ex-employees and the communities. So that gives us a huge responsibility in ensuring that communities are involved in, in the running of, of, of the business. We have since taken effective ownership of Arnold in February this year. And I am proud to say that 
we haven't had any strikes ever since we've opened because we put in a lot of work in ensuring that we interact with our communities, in ensuring that we are also transparent. And on the coal market point of view, our strategy at Arnold Oco is to focus on the domestic market, particularly the ESCOM market, simply because uh, we are situated next door to the power station. We have a conveyor belt delivering coal straight to ESCOM. That gives us a huge competitive advantage from a transport point of view. We also have a strategic link to the rail. We believe that the longer lasting ESCOM power stations are going to use the rail uh, in terms of uh, coal delivery. And we believe that strategically we are located in the right place to supply the, the ESCOM market. In terms of the, the, the export market, uh, we don't have the RBCT allocation. So we won't be focusing too much on that um, as a company. And I would also like to touch base on the ESG initiatives that you have mentioned. Arnold Opco is by far the most uh, transformation-driven uh, transaction. And that comes with a huge responsibility in terms of how do we treat the environment as Arnold Opco and also looking at the corporate governance. Because with a structure like this, it's important that People know what you are doing. People know who's supposed to be doing what and that there's transparency all the time. But in that, we are a startup mining company. So we can't let, we can't have a bulky corporate governance system that will delay us in terms of decision making. There's a need for speed. So we need to make sure that whatever corporate governance systems we come up with enable us to make decisions quickly and to implement the projects that we need to implement.